Each week on Emergency, you will hear discussions from EMTs, paramedics, physicians, respiratory therapists, nurses, and other healthcare professionals who are experienced providers in emergency medical care. These guests discuss their personal experiences in the world of emergency, as well as what it takes to provide care in some of the most stressful environments possible. There will also be honest conversations with people who have received emergency medical care, and they will bravely share their experiences as a patient who may have needed an emergency intervention. Expect funny, educational, and insightful conversations, which will illuminate the humanistic side of an often misrepresented profession. The Emergency Podcast is hosted by me, Samantha Barella, owner of Emerge Education Solutions, and I'm also a currently licensed paramedic. I want to give you a heads up that um, our episode today may contain some profanity language as well as some uh, gross descriptions about human anatomy and injuries and illnesses. So listener discretion is advised. Let's jump into our episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Emergency Podcast. You're with me today, your host, Samantha. Well, semi-host. <laughs> We're going to call me a semi-host today. Um and I wanted to say, hey, what's up? Welcome back. I've taken a week off, as you guys know, but um, we're coming to you. The next couple episodes are super exciting for you guys. But today I have Michelle Silva back in the studio. Hey. Hi. How well, are you? Good. How are you? Good. Welcome back. Thanks. I'm so excited to be here. I love this. <laughs> it's fun, right? It is. <laughs> it's really fun. Um, so Everyone listening today, we are going to be turning the tables today. Um, Michelle and I were having lunch one day a few weeks ago, and she was like, I want to interview you. <laughs> and I'm like, well, what do you want to ask me? Uh, so she's going to talk about, uh, I don't know, throw some interesting questions. I hope they're EMS related, um, but uh, everything's fair game today. So we're turning the tables. Michelle's going to be your host and I'm going to let her take the reins. So go ahead, Michelle. All right, you guys. We are going to get to know Sam a little bit better. I'm really excited about this. Uh, are you sure? I think so. <laughs> Be careful what we'll you wish see, for. I know. <laughs> I censored a few of them. Don't worry. <laughs> All right. So first, I want to know what led you to medicine. Um, I actually do not know the answer to that. You know, um, so I did, even back going back to like my high school years, I did um, a class in athletic training and I loved it. Mm. And so I got like some basic first aid. And then when I graduated high school, I moved to Chicago and I was always like, um, like I would be on uh, the expressways and stuff and I would always see cars or car accidents. And I always said to myself like, oh, that would be so cool to, like, stop and help somebody and to, like, know what to do. So I took, like, a CPR class back then, um, and I actually tested for Chicago Fire. Oh, wow. Yeah, uh, before I left Chicago. I didn't know if I wanted to be a firefighter, but the more I learned about it, I thought it was super cool. So um, I tested for Chicago Fire, me and 30,000 other people. <laughs> like literally it was 30,000 people that tested for probably like 100 spots. You could have been so. a movie star instead of a <laughs> podcast star. <laughs> um, so I, I tested for them and that was my first experience testing and I took the civil service and then based on how you scored for civil service, they put you on a list that they recruited off of for three years. And oh, wow. so then um, they would just go down the list over three years to give you a spot, a chance to do like the physical agility. And um, and I was like, oh, this is really cool. Um, and I was interested in it. But then my mom got sick and I moved back to New Mexico. And um, my parents knew that I was testing for Chicago Fire. So my dad's friend used to be a captain for City of Santa Fe Fire. He's retired now. But one of my dad's good friends was a captain there. And he told my dad that they were hiring. And so my dad told me and I started training. Mm -hmm. And um, I worked out for a year with Sheila Bueller. Do you remember yeah. Sheila? Yeah. Yeah. She kind of took me under her wing and um, she took me under her wing and I was like, oh, like this is so cool. And I felt like she was a mentor and I really looked up to her. And um, 
so I trained for a year and I failed three times. The city? Mm-hmm. Well, the city overall, I failed three times, but I failed the city twice and then I got into the county. Oh, okay. Um, um, so I tested a lot and I was working out like consistently because the physical agility is the hardest part. I don't know if it's the hardest part for everybody, but I do think it's the hardest part for females. And and I started volunteering, but I never wanted to do EMS. Like anytime I heard about like like EMS, 911, ambulance, I'm like, uh-uh, I don't want to take care of people. I don't want to do that. So I solely got into it for fire. Oh, that is so interesting. Yeah, I, I only thought wanted you got to into fire. it for the paramedic side. No. Like I only wanted to do fire. But then I saw that the majority of the calls, if I really wanted to do like anything in the field, the majority of the calls truly are EMS related. For sure. And so I wanted to get on as paid. So I went and got my EMT while I was a volunteer. And I thought that would give me kind of like maybe a leg up on other people who were applying. And um, and they were like, so I don't know if it actually did, but I got my EMT and then I started running calls as an EMT. And I like from there, I just kind of fell in love with it. That is so with interesting. EMS. And so when you were working in the ER, you were not a paramedic yet when no. we met. No, no. I was an intermediate. But I knew I had wanted to go to paramedic school, but I wasn't ready because I had done EMT. I got into fire. I was an EMT for a year and then I did intermediate and that's when I met you and then I did intermediate for a year and then I went to paramedic school. But that time in the ER was like some of the best time I ever could have done, not only because of like the people and the friendships that I made, but I got to know the docs really well. Oh, yeah. Great resource. Totally. So when I was a medic, they all were familiar with me. So when I'd call in for an MSEP order or call in to do anything like get permission to do stuff in the field, the docs already knew me. And they're like, oh, yeah, Sam, like, just go ahead and do what you think is best, you know. So that was probably the best, the best uh, opportunity working in the ER was to work alongside the docs. That's like one of the biggest benefits I've gotten out of it. To get into the medicine for sure. Yeah, but it was never about, it was never about EMS initially. You know, I did this, have you ever heard of that, like, Who's Who Among American High School. Oh, yeah. I was in that book. I was in that book, too. <laughs> so another thing I would we have in common. to see that photo now, by the way. All the smart people get in that book, by the way. If yeah. you don't know mm-hmm. what it is, you should know and Google it. <laughs> but don't look for our photos. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and so I look back to the there, and it says that I said I wanted to be an EMT or a nurse. I don't remember saying that. And then my senior year of high school, um, I was captain of the cross-country team. And they interviewed me for like a little excerpt in the yearbook. And the yearbook, I said that I wanted to be a paramedic. And I don't remember ever saying that. But clearly, it's black and white on paper. weird subconscious plan that you weren't even aware of. So here we are today, many years later, 20 years later. (laughs) So once you became part of the brotherhood, mm-hmm. right, this male-dominated um, profession that you rock, Aww, um, <laughs> how did you make those adjustments to become, because you're not a brother, right? Like the the culture is totally different when it comes to you than with all the guys. So yeah. you had to become a sister, in essence, to all these men. Yeah. Um. And at the same time, not be their mother, right? Yeah, ew. So ew. how was that adjustment for you? And then how do you think your coworkers had to adjust with you coming into the station? Um, hmm. So I think my childhood of having an older brother. So um, as you know, you know, Michelle, but I don't think people listening know, my brother is almost exactly a, a one year older than me. Mm-hmm. And so we were very close growing up, and he's very type A, like more type A than I am, believe it or not. I think he's more type A than I am. Um, But he and I were super tight growing up because we're so close in age. So we shared a lot of, like, classes together and sports together, and we did a lot of stuff together because we're so close in age. Um, But because he is so type A, he, um, I think, brought out that in me 
where I wanted friends to play with and Eric was there all the time. You know, like Eric was always my friend to play with, but we ended up doing boy stuff because he's, he's so tight. Yeah. Yeah. Controlling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He'd be like, no, I'm not. <laughs> um, but he, I think like as we grew up, like I learned a lot about like being tough from him. And it was like, you know, even to the point of like, if you're going to hit somebody, you better get expect to hit back. Like you don't get a free ticket just because you're a girl and you can't go around hitting people. Or he'd be like, suck it up. It doesn't hurt that bad. Like rub some dirt on it. You know, like oh, yeah. he was just always like reinforcing this toughness of like, don't be a wimp. And of course I wanted his approval. So I didn't want to be a wimp in his eyes. So I just like sucked it up. And so I ended up doing a lot of boy stuff. And I think that that helped me when I went into the fire service because I was already familiar like with the boy club you know the boys right. the boys club and I was always known as Eric's little sister growing up even in high school I was still Eric's little sister I was never Samantha and Eric was never Samantha's older brother right. it was always Eric's little sister so I think that that kind of helped um me with the transition of learning to be in a male-dominated environment because I was already comfortable with it from my brother and all his friends. Um, and so I promised myself when I went in, though, when I got hired on and I got paid, I was like, I'm going to be – I'm not going to be the slut. <laughs> I'm not going to be <laughs> yeah. the, the bitch. And um, I'm not a lesbian. So none of those three apply to me. I'm going to be the person that – I want to be the person that when I walk in the station, the guys are like, oh, Sam, you're here. Thank God. You know, or like, yeah, cool. We get to work with Sam today. She's fun and she's cool. And so I really tried hard to um, feel like make myself welcome. Did you ever have a partner that you felt was not so excited to have you there because you were Sam? Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, my personality, as you know, <laughs> since I say things I probably shouldn't <laughs> and and maybe comes across in an abrasive kind of way yeah. or whatever. Well, then don't do stupid shit. But, <laughs> but um, there, there are people and I think. At first, you know, you had asked me what they thought of me coming in, right? Mm -hmm. Like my coworkers. I think at first, before they got to know me, it was like, there's a female in the station. You got to watch what you say about penises and you got to watch what you joke about and you got to watch who you're checking out at the grocery store. Right. Or like how many cuss words and the type of cuss words there's a female in the station. So I think they were trying to, um, have a level of respect for me. I didn't look at it as like I was the enemy. I looked at it as like they were trying to be respectful toward me yeah. um, by making some adjustments. But but as they got comfortable with me and realized that I had worse potty mouth than, <laughs> than they did, I think it just kind of nat I naturally blended into that group. And you know, I always had had boundaries. And I would recommend this to any female listening that does want to get into the fire service. I think it's really important that you do have boundaries because I didn't want to lose that respect. Like I didn't want the guys to change their behavior because I was there. I wanted them to feel free to be males and be type A's and talk about whatever they talk about. So I created boundaries for myself where I said I wasn't going to engage in certain types of talk. Like I was never going to talk about penises. If they want to talk about penises, they can. <laughs> so I would remove myself from the conversation if it went there or if it got into any kind of like uh, gender, sexual, anything like that. I remove myself from those conversations and I would just go to the bay or go to my room or go somewhere else just because I didn't want to engage in that type of conversation um, because I didn't want to lose their respect. So you really had to examine who you were and who you wanted to be known as before starting. Right? Yeah. Like, and like how I wanted to be viewed, mm -hmm. you know, and then especially when I took on the role as paramedic, um, I'm the highest trained on a scene, right? So ultimately an EMS call, the medic's in charge. The medic is responsible for the patient care and outcome. So I didn't want to have be working with a group of guys who I needed them to be part of the team and to do as I needed them to do for the benefit of the patient. Um, and I think if you don't have that respect as a leader, 
people aren't going to follow you and people are going to question what you're doing. But if they trust you and they respect you, they're just going to do what's needed in that time of crisis. Right. And so it was important to me to maintain that, especially once I became a paramedic, because I didn't want anybody um, like not listening to something that the patient ultimately needed because they didn't like me or didn't respect me. Yeah. Yeah. So do does all of your audience know that you teach as well as this podcast? <laughs> um, I did say in the last episode that I did that I do run the paramedic program for uh, a local college and that I needed, because of stuff with COVID and stuff, I needed to take a break. So I said that, but if they didn't catch it or didn't listen to the episode and they're listening to this one, well, I am a teacher. I run yeah. the paramedic program. <laughs> She teaches and she's teaching us through this podcast, which is awesome. So what led you from the field into the classroom? Ooh, good question. I think you're going to take my job. <laughs> I have too many, so. <laughs> you don't want it? Next time. <laughs> um, I, I actually, growing up, I always thought I was going to be a teacher. I loved playing teacher, like as a little kid, I'd line up my stuffed animals and then I'd write on the wall. Even though I had a chalkboard, I opted to use the actual wall in my bedroom. It's more permanent. And it's bigger. Yeah. I mean, that had a little tiny chalkboard. They weren't going <laughs> to learn anything on that. <laughs> Those funny eyes. <laughs> so I opted to like use the wall. I got in a lot of trouble once my dad found out that I was using the wall as a chalkboard. Um, but it, so I, I, I think I always naturally gravitated toward being a teacher. It was just like the coolest opportunity to be able to combine teaching and paramedic, like two things that I do feel that I am competent at and that I do feel like I'm good at. I yeah. got to combine them together. Um, and I started teaching when, even before I was a paramedic. When I was an EMT, I taught EMT classes and I really liked the way like to see other people get it, like something that I love so much to see yeah. other people like the light bulbs come on for them and to see them like fall in love with something that I love so much is like so rewarding. And to be an encourager, like I feel like over time that role of teaching has shifted where now I'm more of like a mentor than I am as just like a teacher. Like I take it on as a mentor where I have certain students that I really see so much in them, like so much potential in them. Mm -hmm. And I want to like invest in that and cultivate it and help them believe in themselves that they can be really good medics too. I remember when I first started precepting and that feeling of I have it down well enough that I can now pass this on to someone else mm -hmm. and that security that comes with, oh, I'm no longer the one being taught. I mean, granted, I don't know everything, but you know that we have our basic knowledge and to see someone else um, come out after hanging out with you for so long, knowing and being confident yeah, is so rewarding in this job for sure. You, Which, would, you would be an amazing teacher. You're so smart. Like some of the sometimes I got to be real with you. Sometimes some of the stuff you say in our conversations, I'm all, yeah, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. And I'm like, what is she talking about? Like, I don't know. What, <laughs> I don't know what that, that lab does. And I don't know what that's the values are you know you're just you're so good though and you should be you should teach a program you can run a nursing program someday as soon as there's more money involved <laughs> I am in <laughs> till then I have a mouth to feed mine and my son's <laughs> all right next question with this podcast what are you hoping comes of it um and where do you see your future with this podcast um why did you start this podcast Okay. Whew. Okay. Let's unpack it. That yeah. was a lot of questions. Okay. Um, why did I start the podcast? That's probably a good place to start. Um, I started the podcast because I really wanted to give EMS a platform. Um, you know, like we were just saying, I'm seasoned and I've been in for a minute and mm -hmm. I've seen some stuff, done some stuff. And I want, and I know I'm not the only one. I know there are so many people out there who are listening as well as who aren't listening yet um, that have so much to bring to the table to really give EMS um, the platform and the recognition it deserves. But it was super important to me, and it still is, is that it is a very um, 
concentrated, strong, real podcast. Like we're having real conversations and it's not, it's important to me that it's not diluted with a bunch of like, um, you know, PC stuff and we still got to be respectful, right? But it's not diluted with the Hollywoodness of EMS because I do think that people's only reference is Hollywood right. of what EMS does. Or the textbook. Right. And that's not it. Mm-hmm. You know, like I want, I really wanted to offer a realistic platform for EMS providers, patients, and people, not just in EMS, as you can see through the episodes and the topics that I've had so far, but really just like emergency care, what the reality truly is, because it's not Hollywood and glory and medals and not everything's gory, you know, not yeah. everything is blood and guts and brains. It's it's a lot of dealing with people at their worst time. And that's could be psychological, that could be addiction, that could be um, unhealthy lifestyle that manifests in diabetes or cardiovascular disease or, you know, just seeing people commit suicides. And it that's like the reality of it. So I really wanted to bring the realistic part of it out through a podcast. I have loved seeing... You know, even just as a nurse, we, um, I think, get grouped together as just the people behind the scrubs. And then as paramedics, you are the people in the ambulance. We're the ambulance drivers. You don't have faces, (laughs) right? And this podcast has, for me, brought faces out from behind Mm -hmm. the uniforms and made all these different aspects real, Mm -hmm. right? Like we get to know who's driving that ambulance and who's in that helicopter and um I think a lot of people don't realize that we have lives or emotions or anything beyond the scrubs and the stethoscope right so yeah you know even just this morning I posted on Facebook um it was a picture you know we all have seen those pictures of a trauma room that's thrashed because I was just a patient in there it was a picture like that I don't know where the picture was taken I, I don't know. It doesn't look like a familiar room to me, so it's clearly not anywhere local. But um, And then there was a story with it that talked about – it was truly like for ER nurses, but at the end it mentioned like RTs, paramedics, EMTs, docs, NPs, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so um, like I saw that and it doesn't it, – all of that work to help one person isn't just – one profession, right? It's not just EMS. We're the beginning of all of the work, Mm -hmm. but it's not just us. Or we're even in the middle, like flying those patients out after you guys in the ER have worked with them or the ICU nurses have worked with them. We're flying them out. You know what I mean? So we're all a team and it was important to me to highlight that and not just give the spotlight to EMS, even though that's truly where (laughs) my heart lies. (laughs) Um, It was important to highlight all of the team that were that is working together for a positive outcome for that one person. We are one huge community for sure. Oh, but the story too, I want to add, um, that story that I posted on Facebook is about the stuff that we see, you know, and it said like, we always get asked, I don't know if you get asked, tell me if you get asked this, but I always get asked, what's the worst thing you've ever seen? Yep. And it's hard to... You know, the story says that it's hard to tell people the reality of the worst thing that they've ever seen because they're truly asking that question because they want a story about blood and guts and trauma. You know, they don't want to hear about the alcoholic dad that's passed out that their five-year-old kid called 911 because they thought their dad was dead. You know what I mean? They yep. don't want to hear that kind of stuff. No. They want to know whose leg was cut off. Right. And yep. and how bloody and messy yeah. it was. But it, then the story talks about how truly those aren't the worst things we've ever seen. We just say that to give the person asking what they want, to give them the answer they want. But it's not an honest answer. Because the worst things that we've seen is really, truly the the way humans treat each other. Oh, that is so true. You know, how, how it's not the gunshot wounds, you know, it's it's just the, the negligence. It's the hoarder house that has no family and they've given up on life and they're just so depressed that they're just in bed for days and days, you know. Yeah. It's the 
um, dying person that's alone in their home and you go and you find them because the rent was due and the landlord went to check on them. It's like those are truly the worst things that I've ever seen. The homeless guy you see every day. Yeah. Yeah. Rotting. Yeah. Or you see like the 19-year-old meth addict who is so far gone in her addiction that she, you know, it doesn't look like there's a way out for her. You know, it's like those are the worst things that I think I've seen, not the traumas. Speaking of EMS and hoarders, have you been called to a hoarder house? Oh, numerous times. <laughs> numerous times. Do How you, do you deal with that? Um, so when you can't get in the front door. Do you want a story? Tell me. Tell tell me okay, the I'll tell worst you. hoarder story. <laughs> There's so many and they're all super bad, you know, Um, but it is, I think, a direct reflection of mental health um, or lack thereof. Oh, yeah. Um, So uh, I do remember off the top of my head, one of the worst ones I've ever gone to um, was a gentleman, I want to say 50s-ish, who was living in this little tiny house and he had... It was July, I think. It was summertime out, I remember. But he had the heater on to like 98 degrees in his house. And he was having difficulty breathing. And he had like this nebulizer. He didn't have any more albuterol left. But I remember going into his house, taking like two steps and immediately walking back out and like gagging. And I'm like, oh, my God, what is that smell? Oh, oh. So I had take a deep breath, walk back in. Try to just be like, sir, let's go to the, let's, let us help you walk to the ambulance. Cause you don't want to be in there any longer than you had to. So he had this massive fish tank, massive. I, I don't know sizes of fish tanks, but it was huge. <laughs> and it was like dirty, like algae all over growing in Ugh. it. The kitchen was just piled high with dirty dishes. I took a peek around the corner and looked into his bedroom And he had this ashtray. It was a plate, like a regular dinner plate, ashtray, size ashtray. And it was piled with this mountain of cigarette butts. And the mountain of cigarette butts was so high that, like, some of them were, like, falling down the mountain. This is the difference between uh, in hospital and out (laughs) of (laughs) hospital. I'm so nauseous. (laughs) Okay, so that's not even the worst part. So, of course, there's there's shit everywhere right there's just trash and crap everywhere it's just like a little tiny trail of walking in his house right because there's stuff everywhere else michelle this fish tank had overflowed at some point what and it was you would walk on the carpet and it was squishy Mm. like like bouncy (laughs) with dirty fish water and it was like i can't make the sound (laughs) Hey, Nick, can you edit a squishy sound into that? (laughs) That would be awesome. (laughs) But it was like squishy like that. Like the floor was bouncy because it was so saturated with this dirty fish water. And he was sitting there. And, of course, it smelled like cigarettes because that's all he does is Mm. smoke cigarettes. And no wonder he has difficulty breathing, right? So we get about – and I wasn't going to leave him there even though he may not have wanted to go. I don't remember the situation. But that's like adult protective services situation. That's not a we're going to let you sign a refusal and leave you here situation, right? I don't care if you stubbed your toe. Right. Like even if there's nothing wrong with you, you cannot – I cannot leave you in this. If you decide to come back and live like this, that's on you. But I could not leave somebody living like that. So we took him to the hospital, but I remember having to come back out a few times to, like, take a deep breath of fresh air Mm. because it smelled so bad in that house. So that's one of the ones I remember. Okay, let's not do that one again. (laughs) (laughs) So as I was thinking of questions, I was thinking of some of the most um, fun times that I had working in the ER, Mm -hmm. right? And some of the docs that were just absolutely crazy and um I think it was probably I don't I'm maybe we were just younger and in a closed environment so the ER that we worked in maybe had what like sometimes six to ten employees at a time and um I remember getting my ass kicked that's yeah, what I remember <laughs> very few of us and you had to depend on each other mm-hmm. no matter what or what your role was because 
oftentimes there just wasn't enough hands, right? Like we ran a busy ER with very few resources sometimes. Right. Um, however, that made you super strong and um, bonded, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking that may be why some of the rules went out the uh, door often when we were working together. And I was thinking of like, you know, those stories or the memories of um, just the crazy things that would happen or you would see. And I'm like, what is some of the craziest things that I remember from the ER? And so I was thinking of, you know, there's always a story of the guy coming in with the dildo stuck. Sure. Right. And does this guy need an x-ray? No. Is he going to get an x-ray? Absolutely, so that we can all look at this again tomorrow, right? And so then I was thinking like... Or to just like even... Sorry to interrupt you, but to just even make sure it's real. Like you say that's what it is, but... Yeah, what size were you saying that is? We want to just make sure, you know, and be be good patient advocates and make sure that what you're saying is accurate. Right. (laughs) And so I definitely remember being a secretary and going in and assisting... um, having to hold a penis because they got a alleged cock ring stuck, right? And you have to put the syringe in and take all the blood out. What did you get to assist in in the ER that you are still like, wow, do you remember the time? Um, some of the memories, well, a lot, as you're asking the question, a lot of the memories I have come from um, earlier uh, or uh, not, sorry, not earlier, more recent, like, experiences when I was, like, at Prez downtown. Uh-huh. Or at a, and, and those are two different beasts. Like, the hospital we worked in, that ER, was a totally different beast than the one oh, yeah. that I worked at after, like, most recently. And so it was their beasts in and of themselves, but it's like comparing apples and oranges. But they're both crazy busy. Um, some of the stuff I've seen um, in an ER that – the first stories that come to my mind are um, a girl that was young lady that was high on meth that got a, um, you know, like a gear shift for a car. Uh-huh. The knob stuck in her vagina. <laughs> and she was high on meth and thought she was delivering a baby. Oh, nice. Um, and one was uh, another person high on meth who decided to poop. Um, on the floor of their ER room and then proceeded to make snow angels in it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, I've seen, um, you know, some some sad stuff of um, when we worked together, my first pediatric code was in the ER there. Uh, Thank God it wasn't in the field, but it was with a team of people. Um, So I remember my first ped code. Um, I remember... In the ER where we worked, uh, EMS had brought in an elderly lady who lived in a rural community, so she hadn't gotten any access to health care for a long time, and she had maggots coming out of her feet. Um, Did they use bacon? No, they used a cold spray to, like, freeze Freeze them. them. Yeah. Like wart spray or something. Yeah, yeah. It was, like, cold spray. Um, I saw a lady... In the ER where we worked, who had um, some type of cancer. I don't remember what kind, but the cancer was so bad that it was literally eating her from the inside out. So you could see it like all over her chest. Like her skin wasn't skin anymore. It was the cancer literally eating her from the inside out. And then there was a smell. Smells are my kryptonite for sure. But it was like there was a smell associated with that that's. It's like a decomp. Yeah, yeah, it's like you'll never forget the smell of a of a GI bleed, a decomp, or a cancer patient like that. Ever, ever, yeah. ever, ever. Yeah. So just it's like gory stuff like that. It's not even anything that I. I mean, I well, the first time I saw a chest that got cracked was in the ER when oh, we worked yeah. together. Um, that was super cool that to was see. Cool. Not for the person, but right. Um, but. For as a healthcare provider who's like brand new at it, it was really cool to see. So, all right, those are a few of them. Did that answer your question? Yeah, (laughs) love them all. These are things we talk about at lunch and breakfast and dinner that I think any other profession would be mortified by. Yeah, they're like, stop talking about poop and vomit. (laughs) Yeah, 
And making snow angels in it. Oh. All right. So I have some questions for you. Okay. How long, how much longer do we have? We're long <laughs> all day, girl. Oh, we got all well, day. <laughs> hold on, let me get into my chair. <laughs> get comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> so we have talked and I have listened to multiple podcasts and the underlying theme that has come out of all of this has been our mental health mm. as a profession. I'm so glad that that's the common theme because that's is. truly what I'm trying to send. That's one of the messages I'm trying to send. Yeah, okay, we're messed up people in this profession and laugh at inappropriate times and find disgusting stories funny and, you know. It's a coping mechanism for sure. Oh, man, absolutely. What, if given the opportunity... What would you do to try to help us? Mm, like us as in providers? Yep. Just in any profession? All of us. Um, All of us frontline. I would, you know, like I, my mind goes a couple of places as you ask the question, like if I had unlimited dollars or realistically. So realistically, what I want is for the podcast, and I don't think I answered two of your questions about the podcast. I think we went on a tangent. I think we did too. Um, but what I would love is for the podcast, as a not only just talking about EMS and healthcare and emergency medicine in general, I would love for it to be also a vehicle for when people listen, they don't feel ashamed about any of the things they're struggling with. So all the providers out there, you know, I would say that we all have different triggers based on our experiences from when we were born to where we're at now. And we all have different triggers. And I would love to continue to send the message, even if it's like a subliminal message. So I'm glad you picked up on this, um, is that it is okay. Wherever you're at and whatever you're struggling with, there's no shame in it. We're all struggling. We all have um, mental health issues that we're struggling with because of the nature of the work we do. And right. I don't, my message would be to don't feel shame about that. Yeah. You're human too. You know, you're human just like the people you're taking care of. And so it would be to, if I could, I would take the shame away from anybody that might be feeling ashamed for f being sad about a certain event or situation or something they saw. That's awesome. Because, you know, in... Now that I'm doing more new higher orientation stuff, they always are like, here's the 1-800 number. Mm -hmm. I'm like, how many people actually have ever called that 1-800 number, right? Because it's there's a stigma attached to it. And I think until listening to this podcast, I'm like, oh, we all have some sort of trigger and some sort of inappropriate coping mechanism mm -hmm. to get through this career. Um, and listening to this podcast has helped make that all wouldn't say more normalized but for sure more um tolerable and like to talk about right because it's not just you it's all of us yeah and yeah and that's what you're not alone you know um you're not the only one struggling and maybe your struggle's unique to you but we're all struggling in our own ways oh yeah for sure yeah and it's okay We'll all get through it together. <laughs> <laughs> this is a song. Huh. Hey, Nick, can you edit that song into our podcast? <laughs> <laughs> that and the squish. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right. If you could go back and do any other career, if you could start over today, would you still choose paramedic? No. Not for the money, though. No. I would, if I could start over, I would be a doctor. Really? Mm-hmm. Any specific type? Emergency medicine. Oh. <laughs> yeah. But I would love to be the person who receives like a transfer of care from EMS and like gets to see continued uh, treatments and interventions on that patient and see that through. I would, I think that would be cool to be in that role and to also be an MD who uh, supports EMS, being like a medical director and doing trainings for them. Like if I, if I knew then what I know now – I would go to medical school. So let's just discuss this. So you would have stayed on the path to go to medical school because about five years ago or so, you were headed there anyways, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. 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 I was definitely trying to get there. Um, 
But I just don't think the amount of work that I would have to do, I just don't think it's in the cards for me. And that's okay. Uh, I do think that there are other opportunities out there outside of the MD role that I can make a positive impact for patients in EMS. For sure. Yeah. I just learned this PA role may be looking pretty good soon. I know. <laughs> we should do it together. We could be in the same class. How cool right? would that be? Need to do something. Um, and I think we kind of touched on this the other day um, because I know you have a student now who you're hoping to mentor in the future. Mm-hmm. What is the one thing you hope to teach her? Oh, like what would be my piece of advice or something yeah. to her, my wisdom? Um, I think overall would be to be confident in what you're doing in treating patients and a decision is better than no decision. That's good. Yeah. Make a decision because it's to better it. than no decision. Yeah. And and feel confident in that decision, even if it wasn't the right thing, but you truly felt it was. Learn from it. It's okay. We're all making mistakes. Like it's it not like take it lightly that you maybe have negatively impacted somebody, but you have to learn from those mistakes. And you can only make mistakes if you make decisions. I think one of the best things I was ever told was you have to remember that we practice medicine. Mm-hmm. And so it is always a learning curve, right? There's no right or wrong way. You just practice. And if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, you try something else different the next time. Yeah. And learn from it. Um, And that's part of like the role of teaching is I try to teach my students through the mistakes that I've made in the past so that they don't have to go through those same mistakes. Yeah. Because those are hard to swallow. Oh, yeah. For sure. We all have a few of them. Yeah. Um. How much time do I still have? I swear he told me like five minutes a long time ago. (laughs) We'll tell you. uh, How about this? How about I just tell you? Oh, we have plenty. (laughs) We can talk all day. All day. All right. So I, in going back to our questions of things that we will never forget, what is one case that you ran on that you – um had no idea how to handle like um, <laughs> um i love i love the, so all of you can't see this but there's the they're sending us messages it's pretty funny <laughs> okay i still have plenty of time to talk <laughs> um cuz i was thinking like if somebody had say because i'm trained in a facility right so there's always a physician ideally there's always a physician there Um, And there's things that we don't treat in the ICU, Mm -hmm. Um, but you get to walk into these people's homes and see them at their worst, the craziest experiences. What um, is one thing that you just never thought you would actually have to deal with or see? You're going to be like, seriously, this was not what I thought the answer was going to be when I asked the question, but... uh, delivering a baby you have delivered a baby yes i've delivered two on the side of the road both times both times yeah how is that um you know for going to paramedic school it was always and it still kind of is the one thing that i f- truly feel if i had gone my whole career with never doing i would have <laughs> been okay with it like ugh, the whole thing just it's Gro- awful. grosses me out I it, agree. It, it honestly grosses me out it's not I don't feel touchy-feely mm-hmm. about it the way a lot of other providers do but that's truly the and I remember the first time I delivered one um I was with um the way she said one you guys with her face <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't a baby it was one it was, it was, <laughs> I was I was super scared honestly it was like probably one of the calls that I've been the most scared on because now I have this little tiny human who can't talk who just came into the world and I don't know if it's okay or not yeah and like and and the, that particular situation the parents only spoke Spanish oh my and God. I don't speak Spanish so trying to communicate a a paragravida with <laughs> with someone that you have a language barrier with is super challenging so um it was really scary but at the same time it was like 
I can do that. Like I faced that huge fear I had and, and then I delivered another one and it went smoother the second time. But yeah. I've only done two, so. Ugh. I um, opted to do the flu shot clinic during my OB rotation <laughs> because I went in once and it smelled so bad at 7 a.m. And I was like, uh-uh, I'll give flu shots to the world in order to never have to do that ever again. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and I want everyone to know that it's okay for us to not be comfortable doing this yeah. type of thing. Like, I don't feel bad about that. It it just, it, for me, it just isn't my forte. What is the one bodily fluid that you cannot handle? Ooh, um, boogers. Really? Yeah. <laughs> boogers creep me out. I can do poop and vomit and pee and blood and brains and body tissues. I can do all that, but boogers, like people blowing snot rockets just disgusts me to no end. So should you tell them about your shower curtain? <laughs> no. <laughs> Not my shower curtain, for the record. <laughs> Not my personal shower curtain, for the record. <laughs> no, disgusting. Yeah, the, it's so gross. Or like being an RT where they got to like suction all the boogers out. I couldn't do that. No, I, I actually couldn't do it. find that so rewarding. Ew. I know. But urine. You can't handle urine? I can't handle it. I cannot hold a urinal for someone. I can't. I've just barely, after eight years, been able to dump my own Foley's. I used to beg the techs and, like, trade things. Longer breaks, snacks, bring <laughs> cookies, if you will, dump my Foley's because... Ugh. What about putting in the Foley? Does that creep you out? No. Even when you see the pee? The, yeah. If they start peeing on me while I'm putting in the Foley, then I, like... <laughs> <laughs> but if I can get it without any splatter, you know... Yeah. I don't know. Urine just kills me. It's yeah. the weirdest thing. Especially if it's like rhabdo urine or bloody oh, urine gosh. or something. Or that first of the morning. Yeah. I can't do it. Yeah. I can't. It's Ew. awful. I feel like a horrible person when my patient's like, can you hold the urinal for me? And I'm like, I can't. <laughs> but I'm going to find someone who can. I can't. I'll throw up on you. It's awful. <laughs> I know. It's so random. But yeah, we all have our limits too with stuff, right? It's like smells. The urine, it doesn't smell me, but the smell of the urine bothers me. Oh, yeah. Or the smell of the vomit or the smell of blood or the smell of that stuff truly bothers me. You know, we more than the substance itself. Yeah. Eddie, he's a nurse that we worked with forever. He was gifted uh, no sense of smell. Oh. Yeah. And so he has always had that very lucky. He can do anything because he doesn't even know. Because he can't smell it. No, it's fine. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Huh. I remember cleaning up someone just ridiculous with him once, and he was like, what is your deal? And he just went about his business like it was no big deal. I've smelled stuff that I've gagged while I'm, like, actively cleaning a patient. Oh, yeah. And I'm all, like, trying to talk myself down as I'm actively cleaning them up. Like I smelt the fish oh. tank in your story, and uh, it was gagging. Yeah. So yeah. in the ashtray. and Yeah, I can't do it. Smells will kill you, especially on an empty stomach. Oh. Ugh absolutely the worst yeah smells are gross yeah. what is one thing you want to share with your audience about you that we don't know yet uh, hmm i don't know anything 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 um i don't know i coach cross-country team there we go <laughs> sam has multiple hats on um <laughs> On top of this, we I think we all keep ourselves super busy in this job and, and then try to figure out why we don't have good relationships and friends. Because <laughs> <laughs> we don't have time for them. Nobody. Do you think it's coping again? I think it's a coping mechanism. Probably. Staying busy so you don't have to deal with your shit. I think I've probably talked about it before on a couple episodes. Yep. But it's like, I love to stay busy because then I don't have to deal with it. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Today's Sam's one day off, you guys. So <laughs> Impromptu <laughs> day off. It's so awesome. I So we did not discuss, where is this podcast going? My hope is that uh, the podcast, more and more people start listening to it and truly find it to be a valuable resource and a valuable tool um, to see the reality of what we do as well as for other providers to have kind of like, like to get what you said you got out of it that, you know, we're all struggling 
for providers to listen and to be like, oh, I've had moments like that. And I remember this one call and this partner and I remember this patient. And that's what I'm hoping the providers feel stimulated by listening, like creating community, but also people who are not in the business with us, that they see us for the humans that we are and the work we do. And who do you hope to still include in this podcast? Like what, who have you not been able to, to reach out to yet? Cause you've had fire, right? Mm-hmm. You've had the paramedic, you've had respiratory. Yeah. Um, you've had a patient. Mm-hmm. I'd love more patients for sure. More patients to come out of the woodworks, I guess. Um, but I'd also love to start incorporating law enforcement oh, in yeah. on these because even though they are, you know, enforcing the law, per the word law enforcement, um, they also do first aid and are first responders and do medical stuff too. So I would love to start to include law enforcement. Well, and sometimes they have mm. they have to clear the scene before you can get there, right? So they see things even before you've had the chance to see things yeah. quite often. Or deliver that baby before I get there. Or, you know, like, I would love to just hear their stories about their experiences with EMS too. Yeah. Yeah. That would be really cool. Yeah. But also I want to plant the seed for anyone listening. Stay tuned for the next two weeks to come because we have a big surprise episode coming that I'm so excited to share with everybody. It's going to be a little bit different, um, but I think it's going to be fun. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to reveal the surprise just yet. Uh Uh-oh. This is going to be awesome. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. I promise it'll be good. I love all these girls that you're finding, by the way. It's (laughs) fun for all of us to get to come out and hang out out here. It's really cool. And then being in the studio with uh, Mark and Nick. What's up, guys? Uh, It's really fun to be able to do this with them, too. So it's been an experience. It is a great community that you are building, Miss Sam. Thank you. Thank you for turning the tables on me today. Thanks for answering all my questions. Sure. It's been fun. Um, Anyone who um, is interested, please go to the website, EmergeEducationSolutions.com. If you have any questions, comments, or uh, show ideas, please email me at EmergeEducationSolutions at gmail.com. And until next week, everybody out there listening, <laughs> oh, before before oh. I shut it down in one word. Hey, you're gonna flip it on me too. <laughs> the whole studio's against me, you guys. Everybody's <laughs> against me. Oh yeah, we didn't do the one word. The one word. To describe this podcast. Ooh, not even EMS. Not okay, EMS. one word to describe the podcast. Um I was gonna say emergency, but that's kind of corny. Uh <laughs> Oh, um, fulfilling. I would call it a lifeline. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like when we do this and we actually like, I see the numbers and people are listening, it makes me feel fulfilled. We all appreciate you. Thank you. I appreciate everybody listening. And until we talk again, everyone out there, stay safe.